uh, and wise, but not not live in fear. We're going to pick up. <clears throat> we're in chapter three of Romans, and um, the way the way I kind of want you to get this into your mind again. Yes, Ken. Uh, Ron, oh, Ron's telling me to remind people that yes, we are having the Wednesday morning Bible class at High V. Uh, he's told me the food at High V will kill any virus. So uh, <laughs> come on, come on through and join join his crowd. Right. <laughs> Here's how I want you to get this in your head. I want you just to take your arms and put them like this. And now I want you to just look at me and scowl. Like, that's the picture I want in your head is here's Paul. And he's just spoken these words to Jewish people. I mean, who are Jews. They're part of the synagogue. And to Christians who have converted from Judaism. And yet still underneath that that Christian, that new Christian, are still some of those old ideas, right? I can't quite get rid of them. They, they, they just, I grew up with them, and so they stay in me. And what Paul's just done is he's, he's, he's spoken about um, what it means to be Israel. And this will be a theme that we see repeated throughout the book of Romans, and I think it's a, I think it's a critical theme for us as we get deeper into it. You'll, you'll see why. But what he's saying is Israel is both a physical community and a spiritual community, but a spiritual community first. Okay, So Israel, as, as Romans is being written, has now for you know, centuries seen themselves as we're a physical body of people. We're that physical group of people who received you know, from God the, 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 the call. Where the the people who received the sign of circumcision came underneath his covenant, where the people who received the law, we bear the law, were different than the world. And uh, in some senses, Israel has withdrawn from the world and taken this position that says, we're Israel and you're not, right? Um, we sit up here in judgment of the world. I think that's important for us as a church to get that get that message because... Uh, honestly, when you listen in on the way that many people in the world view the church, us as Christians, uh, whether, you, whether we like it or not, that, that doesn't matter. The reality is a lot of people view the church as you're, you're sitting up here in judgment of the world. What we hear you saying again and again and again is, well, you're wrong to live this way and you're wrong to live this way and you're wrong to live this way and you're wrong to live this way. Do you just think you're better than all, us? Well, no, no, no. But but that is how a lot of people perceive the church. And um, so I, I own part of that. I mean, I, I do. I think about, hmm, yeah, I can see where where in part it's easy to just get that that impression. Uh, I'm driving down, you know, the highway in Dallas, Texas. And um, here's this big billboard with Pee Wee Herman on it. And by the way, Pee Wee Herman is not Pee Wee Herman. He's a pastor in Dallas. And uh, he has ads on television here in Grand Island. Big, big church, Baptist church. Um, and uh, so here's, but he looks like Pee Wee Herman. I'm like, how in the world is that even possible? But it's true. So here he is, and he's got this big sign, and here's what it says. Gay is not okay. Come to our church, and we're going we're gonna to talk about gays. Is that really helpful? 
I, I'm, I'm like, well, how is that? How, tell me how that is helpful. Because I'm, I'm missing it. I really am. I'm missing it. You know, does Jesus walk up to the woman at the well and say, you whore? That's, that's what she is. You need to get your life straightened up. I don't think so. The, the woman who's na- she's naked, right, and sitting, sitting in a circle of men with rocks in their hands, does Jesus walk up and say, just stone that whore, prostitute? No. This is not the place that God's called us to sit up here in judgment of the world. It's the function of the law is to judge all of us. And so Paul has just said to Israel, you see yourselves as we got the law, we're up here, we have the covenant. But what actually is Israel? What, and what actually is circumcision about? Is it just the outward symbol or is there more to it? And what he's suggesting is that Israel is, on one hand, a physical group of people. That's, that's Old Testament. And, and yet, at the same time, it's, it's not. It's Israel is that group of people who are a subset of physical Israel. They're a part of it. But they're that group of people who have trusted in the Messiah to come for their salvation. That's who Israel is. And as Paul is speaking, he's saying today Israel is not just the physical people of Israel, but guess what? It's, it's always been all of those people, whether you're physical Israel or not, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who now is that Savior for their salvation. That's who Israel is. Thus you get this. <coughs> How dare you speak to us Jews that way? Now, in order to discredit Paul, you have to put a, a label on him, right? Let's put a label on him. Um, I don't think we've ever seen this in our culture, maybe once or twice. Uh, I, I think I heard of one politician one time. He has an opponent, and he puts a label on him. That's Lion Ted right there. That's who that is. That's... Uh, that's Pocahontas over there. That's just put a label on. If you put a label on somebody, it has to be simple and it has to be quick and cut because people then will just buy that label, right? They'll be like, oh, Pocahontas. Yeah, that's, that's that woman. That's who she is. She's probably a little bit more complex than, than that label, right? But it, it helps you just, oh, that's who, who that is. So they put a label on Paul. The Jews, the Jews are smart. Guess what? Evil is smart. So they go, here's who you are, you're antinomian. That's your label. Now think of what that, what that means. You are anti against namas, the law. He's that guy that's against the law. What defines us as Israel? We're the keepers of the law. We're the ones who go out to the world and be, you better be following this law. This law is how you get saved. This law is your salvation. This guy over here, he's antinomian. He's against the law. So they're all looking at Paul like, so how dare you, antinomian person against the law, tell us that we're not Israel because by golly goes, we're Israel and they're not. And so Paul has to answer them. Is he really against the law? Not at all. What he's trying to do is help not only these Jews and now Jewish slash Christians understand 
the place of the law, but understand its place over and against the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means to be in a relationship with him. So the beginning of chapter three is meant to start responding to this criticism that you are against the law. Uh, we went through some of this last week, so I'm only going to touch on a couple of verses, but the opening verse kind of helps you see what, what I'm talking about. This is the question that Jews are asking. What did, then what advantage does the Jew have? If, if being a Jew, um, if, if everybody can be a Jew, if you're saying that just anybody can be Israel, that's what you're saying? Paul would be like, well, no. Yes, I'm saying that a Gentile can be a Jew just as much as you are, because what is a Jew? Again, what is Israel? It's a person who trusts in the Messiah. Okay. Well, then what advantage do us Jews have? Okay, Paul's answer. Oh, in, in the second half of that question, or what value is circumcision? We're, we're the ones who have the sign of the covenant. We have the covenant. You can't tell me that these people over here can, can, can be like us. They can't be like us. They, they're not even circumcised. So Paul's answer is, is interesting. He, he doesn't say to them, well, it's of no value. He doesn't say, oh, being a Jew, it doesn't mean anything. Here's what he says, verse 2. Well, your advantage is much, and it's in every way. To begin with, here, here's your advantage. The Jews, and now I'm going to read the English, and then I'll come back to the Greek, because I think the Greek helps us see what's going on. The English translation, ESB, says, well, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Okay. Well, that's how the Jews saw themselves. Yep, we have the oracles. We have the commandments of God. We have, the, we have his words. We're the ones that have them. They don't. Okay. Now, the Greek here, I think, helps underscore what Paul is really saying. Because the, the Greek here is, much in every way, the Jews were, the verb is pistuo, faith, or brought to faith, by, the term oracles there is actually logios, words, of life. Here's a little, here's a little something that's kind of interesting to me. Moses goes up onto the mountain, right? He's going to receive the, what we call the Ten Commandments. When he's on that mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, are they called commandments? Or not? Okay, so if we, if we translate it from Hebrew over into Greek, into lane would be commandments. It's not what it says. If you go back and you look at you look at uh, uh, Moses uh, and the Sinai, Sinai scene. What he receives are the logios, logios, the words of life. A God saying, Moses, here's words that will give life to you. Okay? And so what Paul is saying is, you see yourselves as the ones who got the law, and we're going to keep the law, and we're going we're to hold the law over everybody else. But I'm telling you, that's not your advantage. Your advantage is that you, you were the first to be brought to faith through a word of life. All of you? No. Those who God brought to faith, he brought to faith. Others of you resisted that. And guess what? You can be a physical Jew, and I rejected the promise of the Messiah, and I'm really not a Jew. That's Paul's answer. Am I against the law? No, not at all. But what I'm telling you is, relationship with God is about a word that works faith. Skip down to verse 5. 
Paul says it this way. If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? He's trying again to contradict this idea that he is antinomian. Just kind of go through those words again. If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. I'm unrighteous. These words that God's given us that are supposed to bring life, I do opposite of that. So what, what, what's the result of that? Well, the result of that is my unrighteousness shows the righteousness of God in the sense now that God inflicts wrath upon me. Is there a place for the law in our lives? Absolutely, there's a place for the law in my life. What is it? The law brings the wrath of God upon me. It does. Now, what is wrath? In our Western world, we think about wrath, I think, upside down. We, 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 we don't think of it properly, okay? We think of wrath as God sits up here, you're, you're disobeying my will, therefore, zap, I'll just zap you. And I'm, I'm, my intention is just to hurt you and harm you and spank you and teach you a lesson. That's, that's, that's not at all what it means for God to bring his wrath upon a world. When God brings his wrath upon a world, the term here, or gay, literally means what God is seeking to do is he's, he's bringing upon on the, on the world a, a hand of discipline that has the desired effect of turning people back to himself. That's, that's what wrath is. It is the strongest, strongest measure that God can take to break a people who become stubborn in and of themselves. Um, and Paul's saying God's right to do that. He's showing his rightness in bringing that wrath. Why? Because he wants relationship with us. He does not want us to go on and die outside of faith because then we die under the law and the law will condemn us. So, so is, am I antinomian? Am I against the law? No. In fact, I see a great place for it in our lives. Um, are we seeing that today? Are we seeing it today? You know, uh, I was thinking last week about different lines in the Bible that, that just jump out at me during the time that we're living in. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's, um, his, his wife almost got it right this morning. Almost. She tried. She's trying to get it right. Um, Fox News had her on, and they asked her the question, you know, where is God? Where do you see God in the midst of all this? And I like her. I really do. She's, she's winsome. She's grace-filled. She smiles, and she says, um, she says, hello, my Fox friends. And uh, she says, well, I asked myself that question. Is, is, God, is God bringing this upon us? And then I went to the Psalms and I thought about Psalm 91 and the kings take their places and they plot against God. I'm like, keep talking because you're on the right track now. I really think she's on the right track. Um, in the Revelation, it says it differently. Babylon, oh Babylon, in one hour you have fallen. All the structures that human beings make to create for themselves the illusion of control. Whether they be financial in nature 
or social in nature or social systems in nature. All of them we create for ourselves so that we can believe we're in control. We have this thing all in hand. Here's what God says. There's going to come a day, one hour, all fallen. Um, I don't believe that we are entering my personal belief, what the revelation refers to as the half a time, even now, as severe as, as what's happening. I, I think actually what's happening right now is just a mild indicator of what's yet to come. But it's giving you a little scene, isn't it? You flip things upside down, like China. China now, China's not a very big power in the world, is it? Possibly. By the way, 14 to 1. Um, I guess that, you know, they take this, this uh, DVD to the prison, and they watch it. They've been counting the number of times that I lift the cup. To drink at 14 to 1. 14 lifts, one drink. I'm like, holy smokes. I had no idea. <laughs> they got nothing better to do. So, so you get, you got, China's possibly a small player in the economic global scene, right? Possibly a little small player. You take something like that and you go like this. And the world goes, <gasps> what just happened? And it goes like a bunch of dominoes all falling. Everybody goes, whoa, whoa. Well, that's the whole point of it. God says, oh, there's going to come a day, one hour, all of Babylon. Babylon is a symbol for what? A world power that is fully in control or thinks it's fully in control. And it is not. He is in control. And so what is God doing? Wrath. You know, so somebody says to you, you telling me that God created this virus? I'm telling you that this virus can't exist outside of his authority. That's what I'm telling you. Can't. He didn't want it to happen. It ain't happening. He, whether he is, is causing or allowing, to me, we're not going to know, but it doesn't matter because the effect is always the same. The purpose of it is when, when wrath is experienced in the world, it's not God trying to just spank everybody. It's God trying to say, I want to just remind you of something. You're not in control at all of any of it. All the things that you depend upon for your security, count upon for your security, are vulnerable to fall in one hour. And it's coming, that half hour. And before it comes, here's what I want to tell you. I love you. And I, I want to spend eternity with you. And I, I mean, I don't want to be alive in the halftime because it's hell on earth. It literally is. I mean, we've got demons released to actually kill people. They can't now. They will be able to then. But I will tell you this, that I don't want to be alive in that half hour apart from faith because there will be death everywhere. And when it comes, and it will come, on this planet, it will come. It will make what's happening right now look like a picnic in the park. Guaranteed. And all God's doing right now is, or gay. I am showing you a hard hand. Why? Because I need you to know something. I am God and you are not. It's the purpose of the law. It's always been the purpose of the law. 
And so what Paul is saying is, no, God is right to bring his wrath upon us. The law has a place in all of our lives. It functions to crush us and to call us to know that I'm not God and I absolutely am in need of a Savior. So the Jews, you're antinomian, you're against the law. No, I'm not against the law. I'm telling you, the law has a great place in our life, but the law cannot save us. Only one can save us. And the one that saves us, saves us not by just giving us the law and telling us to fulfill it. We can't but saves us through a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. That's how he saves us. Now, the Jews kind of go on like this at this point. Hmm. Okay. Well, then, how do you see righteousness? How do you see it? How does it happen? Because we've, we've always seen it as through the law. And now you're saying the law has a place, but you seem to be saying that the, the place of the law is not to make us right with God. That's correct. That's what Paul's saying. And by the way, Paul would say, by the way, not only I am telling you this, but guess who's telling you this? All of the prophets and forefathers that have come before me. All the people you revere. I mean, you make statues of them and put them out there. Here's Moses and here's Abraham and here's Isaac. Here's our great prophets. Just go back. Why don't you go back and actually read what they wrote? Because I'm going to tell you that what I'm saying to you is not new. This is what God's always been saying to us as Israel. So listen, hear what God has been saying. When you get to verse 9, this is what Paul is doing. Just look at the very beginning of it. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? And his word is, no, not at all. We're not at all any better off. We're not better than a Gentile. We're not better than so. We're all what? We're all under this, this law that condemns us. That, 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 that brings about God's wrath. That's what we're all under. He says, we've all already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We, we are accused by the law. By the way, one of the things that causes us to fear death is our, our old Adam, who wants to be alive and who hears the voice of the accuser. And when we look at death, the thing that scares us the most is you hear the voice of the accuser. You haven't lived right. You haven't done enough. I've seen it up close and personal. I mean, because as a pastor, I end up, you know, going to, to people's bedsides at the time of death. And I've had people hundreds of times literally saying to me, I'm scared. I'm like, why are you scared? I, 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 I have things left undone. I have things that I've done. I'm like... You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Yeah, I, I know, but you don't know. I, I, I'm scared why the accuser is using the law to accuse us. And the, what sets you free from fear of death is, guess what? The gospel is that, is that clear understanding that, yeah, I have. I've broken all the commandments multiple times and will continue to. I'm under grace, not under, not under the law. So he's saying, yeah, we are all born under it, this sin. Now, Verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. These are all quotes taken from the people that the Jews admire the most. Okay? So um, many of them are from the Psalms. Uh, verses 11 and 12 are actually from Psalm 11. Um, 12 and 13 from Psalm 53. Um, some of these quotes are, are taken from the prophet Isaiah. 
verse 15, Isaiah 59. So what he's doing is he's cut and pasting. Right? It's, it's, it's almost like he says, okay, this is what's been written. I'm going to now take from David, right? You know David. Everybody's like, yeah, we know David. I'm going to take from, from Isaiah, the prophet. I'm going to take it and I'm going to show you that what I'm saying to you is not new. It's always been what God has to say. He starts off with these words. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. We don't. Our old Adam, born under sin, does not seek after God. You know what we seek after? Me. What I want, what I think is right, what is going to be convenient for me, what I think, what I think is going to be, make me the happiest in life, I go seek after that. That's my old Adam. Still at work. Every, for every one of us, we get, hey, what do I want? What do I need for this day? What do I, what do I want to have happen in my life? And the world feeds it. It just feeds it, Right? Um, I always remember in the 70s and 80s, particularly the 80s, um, the church moved into this, this era, the, kind of the early era of, of what we called the, the, the worship wars, where baby boomers, people my age, were coming into the church and were kind of changing some things up and, you know, stomping our feet. We, we, we want a guitar in the church. We, we knew we were. So things started to, to change. One, one church uh, came up with this idea. They said, well, the, the reason we've got to make all these changes is we have to make our, our worship seeker-friendly. That was kind of the language of the day. Well, I think, well, that's, that's good, but here's the reality. No one seeks after God. If it's seeker-friendly, there will actually there's only one seeker. You know who it is? The Holy Spirit of God. He seeks us. We don't seek Him. And he's coming after us all the time. You know what he has in his hand? In his arsenal, he has the law actually in his hands. He's the one that convicts us, that breaks us, that causes us to say, ooh, man, maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I do need a savior. And so what he's saying is, look, you're not who you are because you're, you're seeking after God or you're trying to be righteous. No, no, none of us do that. We're born under the sin seeking what we want. Verse 12, all have turned aside now, this is the English translation. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Um, actually, the term here is all ex ek non have exited out of. All right. So all have taken this law of God. And guess what we've done? Exit it. I don't want that. I want what I want. Okay. And as a result of that, we are, here's the, here's the actual, this is a really good translation. Of it. All of us are being debased. So take a look at these words again. <laughs> Verse 12, they've all turned aside together. They become worthless. Well, no, here's what it's saying. We've all exited. We've all fled from the law. And as a result, we're being debased. Here's what that means is you were created in the image of God to live in a way that reflects who he is. To be debased means as you move away from what God's calling is in your life, you no longer reflect that image. The image of God is marred in you. That's what he's saying. Not that you're not, you're worth everything to God. You're worth Jesus Christ to God. You're worth a cross to God. It's not about being worthless. It's about becoming someone who I wasn't made to be. This is what happens when we exit out of the law. Um. Let's put a mark there, and we'll come back to that, those quotations.
because what's happening is the people that were like this are kind of going like this. Ooh. They're having to listen to their own words. And they're listening to them in a way that goes like this. Yeah, all those people are debased. All those people are like that. And when we get to the very end of this section, here's what's going to happen. Very skillfully, Paul's going to be like, oh, let's go and actually look at that Isaiah passage. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about you. Oh, let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, close out today, um, we're just living in a time where, um, yeah, I don't think the world really wants to hear this word wrath. I, I don't even want to hear it, but it's true. You use it purposely to bring us to recognize our absolute dependence upon you for even the breath that we breathe this morning. Lord, I'm not hearing that in our world today. And it needs to be spoken loudly by a church that says, he actually loves you. Because you do. Be with us in this week ahead. Guide, protect us. Give us uh, your wisdom to navigate through these times. Lord, uh, help us be found faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.